Chapter Seven of Trading Jeff and His Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trading Jeff and His Dog by Jim Kilgard. Chapter Seven Granny. Absorbed in watching Pete, Jeff was almost unaware when Dan came to stand beside him. As Pete disappeared, hidden by foliage, he turned away from the window and came face to face with Dan. The boy's cheeks were flushed and hot anger burned in his eyes. Both fists were clenched so tightly that straining knuckles showed white. Jeff said quietly, Come out of it, Dan. He's a Whitney. Sorry you didn't shoot him. I... It's not that, Jeff. I wasn't thinking very straight when I told you I aimed to shoot all the Whitneys. It's... Why should a Whitney be in my pop's cabin? He was at our door, and he was hungry. Well... Doggone it, Jeff, you talk sense. Jeff heaved an inward sigh of relief. Yesterday, Dan had not only talked of killing every Whitney... But he had acted fully capable of doing it. But yesterday he had been tired, hungry, and so terribly alone. Good food and proper rest has worked a change, but they had not made him forget why he was here. Nothing would ever do that. Dan asked. You think we will get him, don't you? Get who? Whoever killed my pop. Murder can't be hidden, Dan jeff spoke with quiet forcefulness if somebody really wants to find it out and we'll find out we'll find out then dan gritted his teeth we'll shoot jeff said nothing dan was too young too angry and too steeped in the tradition of the hills to think of anything except violent vengeance rather than tell him he was wrong jeff hoped to prove it when they found whoever had murdered Johnny Blazer, and they must find him if Dan's tangled path was ever to be straight again, the law could take over. Jeff hoped that at the right time Dan would see such a course as the proper one. For the present, the less said the better. Let's get the place cleaned up and go out trading, Jeff suggested. Good. Jeff washed dishes while Dan swept the floor, and it made no difference that it had also been swept last night. Only those with little regard for themselves were contented to accept dirty surroundings, and one way to keep dirt from accumulating was to clean often. Cabin in order, Jeff showed Dan his pack. Each of its numerous straps, so adjusted that they opened at the flick of a finger, gave access to one compartment, and within themselves some of the compartments were further divided. They were also of various sizes. Obviously it was possible to carry a vast number of pins, needles, spools of thread, etc., in a somewhat small space. Kitchenware, which Jeff had a considerable store, naturally needed more room. There was a place for bright ribbons, one for candy, and articles such as spices and tea were stored by themselves. Jeff had razor blades, pencils, an assortment of novelties, such as the jack-in-the-box, a variety of small tools, 
nails and both wood and metal screws at the rear reached by thrusting the hand through a hidden flap were six more knives like the one he traded to bar whitney meerschaum pipes pocket watches and a few other valuables that were best kept where they were not at once available or easily found jeff explained that he always planned to carry as great an assortment as possible with very few large articles the partial bolt of gingham the biggest single thing in the pack he carried not because there was much profit in carrying it but because being able to offer gingham often provided an opening wedge to other sales when he started he had operated on a strictly cash basis and had earned a fair amount of money doing so then he had discovered a great truth which had its foundations in the complexities of human nature no matter what the article from aardvark whiskers to zebra tails somebody somewhere not only wanted it but wanted it badly enough to pay well on the atlantic coast jeff had picked up a box of seashells in indiana he had met a trapper who had never seen any seashells and traded them for a bundle of mink pelts taking the pelts to chicago he had sold them to a furrier for more money than he might have earned in two weeks peddling for cash though everything was precious or at least desirable to somebody whoever had an abundance of any kind of goods was seldom inclined to regard it highly but though they always sell for cash whoever offered something that they wanted did not have and would find it difficult to get invariably made a better bargain jeff sighted the knife and thong he had acquired from pete whitney the jack-in-the-box had cost fifteen cents but jeff would be able to sell the knife for at least a dollar and twenty cents and he did not know how much the horse-eyed thong would bring but because pete thought the jack-in-the-box such a treasure and never would have been able to get one for himself he had not been cheated jeff concluded with the observation that peddlers had to recognize true value when they saw it otherwise they would not be able to remain in business dan's eyes sparkled that sounds like fun it has its points jeff admitted take me in with you for good dan pleaded i want to be a peddler too jeff glanced aside he had taken this waif under his wing and could not abandon him and then he was struck by the happy thought that dan's request gave him control over his charge we'll see he evaded the issue take me i'll do anything if you teach me jeff asked quickly can i count on that anything just ask me you'll do exactly as i say try it what do you want done jeff grinned right now let's go peddling and leave the shotgun here but you said you'd do anything let's go jeff with an ease born of long experience jeff slipped into the pack knowing that they were going out pal leaped to his feet and a doggy grin framed his jaws jeff closed the door but did not lock it the cabin had been rifled only because it was thought abandoned known to be occupied it was safe the hill men might use force to get what they wanted or even kill another man for it but petty pilfering was beneath them the sun was warm without being too warm 
and a breeze fanned the cheeks of the pair of peddlers. A smile was complete on Jeff's face, and laughter was in his heart. The horizon stretched limitlessly with no end or definition, and good fortune was a certainty. He couldn't be other than happy. Where are we going, Jeff? Dan asked. I don't know. Let's follow our noses and go where they lead. Jeff took the first mule and footpath that branched from the road, for he was sure that most of the people he wanted to see would be back in. Most hill people preferred plenty of room, and they did not, as one hillbilly had expressed it to Jeff, like to be all cluttered up with people. Scarcely a week passes but what three, four go by. Ranging ahead, Pal flushed a buck from its thicket, chased it a little way, and let it go. He returned to Jeff and Dan, lingered to sniff at some interesting rabbit tracks, and ran to catch up. There came a faint smell of wood smoke. Jeff sniffed eagerly, trying to determine the smoke's origin, and he thought with some amusement that he was doing exactly as he had told Dan they would do. In a very real sense, he was following his nose, and when he came to a less-traveled path that swung from the one they were following, he took it. Pal at his heels, Dan bringing up the rear, he walked fast. In three minutes they came to a clearing. Apparently, without plan, it had been hacked out of the forest. It was irregularly shaped, probably to follow the easiest cutting, and a few large trees had been allowed to stand in it. There were many stumps, a small garden, a mule that hung its head over the topmost of two strands of rusting wire and looked cynical, and four half-wild pigs that squealed and scuttled into the brush. The barn, that had listed badly and seemed in immediate danger of falling, was propped up with saplings. The house, made of hand-hewn timbers, was very small and very old. Rains, snow, sun, and wind had so beaten it that it had achieved a unique color all its own, and somehow it looked sad. Jeff knocked confidently and waited. The door opened an inch, and then another inch, and in the gloomy interior Jeff saw not too well a scowling face that was framed in a veritable haystack of black hair and beard. But he saw very clearly the sinister snout of a rifle that was aimed squarely at his middle, and he heard very clearly a growled, Get going and start now. Right away, Jeff agreed. He whirled and started back to the main path. Too overawed to speak, Dan trotted at his heels, and he dared say nothing until they were once more where they had started from. Then, gee, he breathed, weren't you scared? No, Jeff answered wryly. My heart always pounds. Do you think he didn't want us around? I had a slight suspicion. What do we do now? Find somebody else, Jeff said cheerfully. It's part of peddling. The day was too fine and too sparkling to be ruined by any surly mountaineer. They walked on, feet winged and hearts gay. Jeff thought whimsically that the money he made selling or trading was the very smallest part of the reward that he received. By far, the major portion lay in walks just like this, and the fact that he loved the work he was doing and trying to anticipate 
what lay ahead he always tried to build up a mental picture of his next customer always failed to do so and invariably had to discard his carefully rehearsed approach to create a new one on the spur of the moment much of the time he knew the sort of house in which his next prospect would live but nothing in his experience had prepared him for the house they found not a mile from the one they had left rounding a bend they saw a little hill there was nothing majestic or imposing about it for it was a very small hill but it was a very beautiful one it was as though the creator of the mountains after much deliberation had decided that that little hill would fit nowhere except exactly where it was all the trees save one had been stripped from the side jeff and dan could see and the grass growing there was so green and soft that it was almost unreal the one tree gave it just the right touch so it was as though this hill was something out of fairyland a little herd of sheep cropped the grass delighted jeff let his gaze stray upward gee but it's pretty dan breathed it is that jeff agreed look at the house there were trees on the very top of the hill silhouetted against the blue sky they seemed to be outlined against the gentle sea a log house nestled in the grove something at first jeff thought it must be the whitewash that outlined all the windows and then he knew it was not set the house apart like the hill it was a fairyland house and jeff knew that they must visit there the hill rose in undulating waves with no harsh angles or uncouth lines to mar it but it was not a park-like perfection some person or persons must have expended enormous labor to make the hill look as it did but every line every patch of grass seemed to belong naturally just where it was jeff could decide only that this was a happy hill and that whoever lived in the house was either the owner of a rare talent or blessed beyond belief by the angels or perhaps some of both they came to the house and marveled it was made of logs and chinked with clay but nothing haphazard had gone into its making even the chinking was not just slapped on and troweled in but flowed in graceful lines as though it had always been part of the logs as old as the cabin they had left the house had a sheen instead of a sad and aged appearance whoever lived here must love it greatly howdy boys the woman came around the house so silently and so unexpectedly that for a moment jeff was startled the top of her head reached scarcely to his shoulder her silver hair glowed like a halo but there was something which was far from angelic in the remarkable eyes that dominated her unusual face she wore a simple blue dress highlighted in silver and exquisitely stitched bluebird in flight adorned the front of it her movements were quick and graceful but there was no suggestion of frailty and the muzzle-loading rifle that swung easily from her right hand might have been a strong man's weapon without any hesitation pal went forward to receive her caress in a sudden rush of feeling jeff forgot his amazement and felt entirely at home 
he knew all at once that everything and everybody was welcome on this hill and howdy to you granny he said graciously i'm jeff thought of introducing himself as tarrant enterprises limited but did not i'm jeff tarrant and this is dan blazer her head flitted like a bird's and i'm granny wilson wilson jeff remembered i met an ike wilson in cressman did you now ike's one of my boys what was he doing he was jeff fumbled darned if i haven't forgotten her laugh was like rippling water he was in jail for stealing chickens you can say it jeff it takes all kinds to make a family my tommy's a doctor my joel's a lawyer my billy's a sailor she named four more sons all of whom were in some useful occupation and finished they all followed their natural bent and ike just naturally took to chicken stealing she turned to dan you kin to johnny blazer dan said bashfully he was my pop come in she invited come in and sit down to gingerbread and milk i vow i've missed johnny and i'm glad to have his kin you come too jeff and fetch your dog jeff looked at the rifle have you been hunting land no she laughed i was shooting at brand severance you didn't hit him she said didn't aim to hit him just wanted to show him he couldn't pester my sheep but isn't there she anticipated and forestalled his question nope i'm all alone my boys they want me to come with them land i'd grow old and shrively in a city two houses are one too many do come in granny opened the door that was made of carefully mortised hand-polished boards and adorned with an excellent wood carving that depicted a running buck chased by wolves jeff and dan breathed their delight except for the stove the pots and pans that hung behind it the lamps and a few other articles that would be very difficult to fashion with hand tools every bit of furniture had been made of whatever materials were available but whoever made it had not been contented with something merely useful strict utility had received consideration but beauty was in vast abundance jeff looked through a large window that faced the back and saw a neat garden a little grove of fruit trees a fat mule a brown cow and a cat sitting on a stone it was exactly the big fluffy white cat that should have belonged in such a place not until he took a second glance did he realize that the cat was not alive at all but woven into a tapestry he went nearer stretched on a walnut frame the tapestry was so exquisitely woven that the cat's every hair not only showed but was in the right place the cat was about to lick a front paw and even after he knew it was a tapestry so real was the illusion of life that jeff extended a hand to see if the cat might not be soft and warm he turned to granny who did this she was all gentleness i did that's my kitty cat dead these four months there was longing in her voice and more than a hint of sadness and jeff knew that the cat had meant a great deal to her he understood some people loved horses some preferred dogs and some set their affections on cats but for granny it could not be just any cat 
Jeff asked, Do you do much of this sort of thing? Land, yes, a body ought to keep busy. Jeff said gently, I think you've kept busy a long while around here. Sixty-four years the seventh of May, she said pertly. Came as a sixteen-year-old bride. Enos, God rest his soul, had been gone these past three years. You two come into the kitchen. She led them into the kitchen, seated them, opened a trap-door in the floor, took cool milk from an earthbound chamber, and lifted a tray of gingerbread from a cabinet. Eighty years old, her movements were almost as brisk and sure as a girl's. Jeff and Dan ate heartily. Any food they prepared for themselves could not possibly compare with this. Granny seated herself companionably near. Ike say when he was getting out, she asked. Well, no, he was there with Bucky. Jeff snapped his fingers. I forgot his last name. Bucky Edwards, she furnished. Land, he and Ike been stealing chickens for a span of time. Jeff sensed something completely fine. She was old in years only. Until the day she died, her mind would be young and strong. Ike's escapades probably did hurt her, but Ike was as much her son as the doctor, the lawyer, and the others who had decided in favor of respectable careers. She would not deny him. Jeff said, Ike and Bucky didn't seem to have any definite plans. They have some, she assured him. They'll come here, and when they do, they'll be a heap of trouble. She stopped suddenly as though she had said something unwise. When do you expect them? Jeff asked. Don't rightly know. Maybe soon, maybe not so soon. For a moment Jeff was silent, and Dan was still stuffing gingerbread into his mouth. Granny had spoken of trouble when Ike came, but apparently it was not trouble for herself, and if she wanted him to know more about it, she would have told him. He wished he could offer her help, but he had an uncomfortable feeling that she knew how to help herself. He was trying to think of a way to steer the conversation away from Ike when Granny relieved him of the necessity for so doing. "'What you peddling?' she asked brightly. Jeff fidgeted. The contents of his pack, for the most part, were designed for those who had little. Jeff tried to please people who yearned after a bit of gay ribbon, a new knife, anything they might need or desire, but could not get for themselves. But he couldn't imagine what Granny liked, and countered her question with one of his own. "'Where do you get your thread and yarn?' She looked surprised. "'Spin it myself, to be sure. I have sheep. I grow flax, too.' Jeff followed up because he was interested. "'Do you also make your own dyes?' "'Land, yes. T'would be a sin to let the arbs go to waste when they grow right at the doorstep. Do you use anything besides herbs?' bark seeds nut husks and shells it's all here take a bit of this a bit of that a bit of another thing seethe it and there's a dye i know you do your own weaving land yes jeff grinned ruefully for the first time since its founding tarrant enterprises limited had reached a blind end something for everyone was one of his numerous slogans but he did not have anything for granny wilson and he was honest about it granny i don't believe i can offer you a thing 
oh come now you must have something granny reached for a skein of gray yarn she tested it with her fingers murmured poorly poorly and handed it back granny ignored the bright ribbons had no time whatever for the knick-knacks lingered over a packet of needles and her eyes were accusing when she gave them back young man you are a poor shakes of a peddler i tried to tell you i hadn't anything you'd want you should have something to please a poor old woman i know if i had anything good enough for you oh darn a skein of yarn tumbled out of the pack and caught on a buckle jeff reached through the slit for one of the many bladed knives opened the scissors and carefully snipped the tangled wool off granny clapped joyful hands i knew it i knew it give me that jeff handed her the knife granny's eyes shone just the thing she cried ecstatically just what i need my eyes ain't what they used to be i missed two shots at run bucks last fall and am forever mislaying my necessities twould be handy to have so many in one piece cash or swap jeff said recklessly let's call it a gift granny but she was honestly troubled you can't give me aught that cost you dear yes i can not by my leave she said firmly it's only right that a body gets his worth i'll swap even for a look at some of your other tapestries my what your cloth pictures like the cat land i'll get some she bounced from her chair bustling into an adjoining room and they heard her open a trunk a moment later she was back with two tapestries under her arm she spread one a yard long by about twenty inches wide and jeff gasped it was the last supper but instead of following conventional patterns granny had drawn inspiration from the life around her jesus and his disciples were seated at a wooden table that was innocent of any adornment or finery whatsoever but the table was so finely done that a sliver thrusting out from it seemed both real and symbolic there was an air of dignity that rose above mere human dignity and the dyes had been applied with a touch so delicate that holy light seemed to emanate from the picture its message was one of hope judas was not to be abandoned do you like it granny asked it jeff was at a loss for words it's wonderful preacher skiles thinks the lord ain't right preacher skiles assumes a great deal of responsibility she laughed twas not the way he meant it he thinks jesus should be sitting above the rest with maybe angels flying at his shoulder it's better this way that's what i thought granny asserted the lord he wasn't above the beggars the sick and those who done wrong somehow i got to think of him as coming down to all of us i too this one granny spread the other tapestry i call the fall of satan jeff gasped again the picture centered around the black silhouette of satan with the background done in delicate shades of red there was about the figure utter misery abandonment and despair the gates of hell which he had not yet entered were merely suggested but they were suggested so artistically that one sensed the seething fires the complete torment that awaited 
Dan looked and shuddered. Gee! Jeff breathed. Why hasn't anyone else seen these, Granny? Enos, she answered, didn't hold with hanging them on walls, and I've tried to keep the house as Enos wanted. But I knew Enos wouldn't mind Kitty Cat. He... he's company. Somebody should see them. Pooh! Who'd bother with an old woman's foolishness? I would. Then take them. Take them for the knife. I won't do it. She seemed crestfallen. I didn't think you would. Jeff said seriously, It isn't that. These are worth a great deal of money. They are? How much? Jeff hazarded a guess. Twenty-five dollars. Land. Each. Jeff finished. My land. Granny, do you trust me? Pooh. I didn't raise eight of my own without knowing aught of boys. Are these dear to you? I don't set much store by em. Enos never liked them. Let me take them into Ackerton, Jeff urged. Let me see what I can do with them there. Go ahead if you've a mind to. Land, meal time, and I haven't started a thing for you boys to eat. End of chapter 7